New congressional district maps are now in place in Illinois, but the new legislative district maps are still pending in federal court where oral arguments will begin soon. We'll talk with two close observers of the redistricting process about how we got here and what this all means on this edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock. In just a few weeks, a three-judge federal court panel will hear oral arguments in three lawsuits challenging the state's legislative redistricting plan that Democrats pushed through this summer. Plaintiffs in those cases include Illinois Republican leaders in the General Assembly, a Latino advocacy group known as the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Educational Fund, or MALDEF, and a group of civil rights advocacy groups led by the East St. Louis chapter of the NAACP. Here to talk about how these lawsuits came about and what this all means are two close observers of the redistricting process, Brian Zaru, who's a policy director at the Better Government Association in Chicago. Brian, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Also joining us from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign is political science professor Brian Gaines, who is also a senior scholar at the Institute of Government and Public Affairs. Brian Gaines, thank you for coming. I'm also glad to be here. Okay, so Brian Zaru, I want to start with you. Uh, the Better Government Association was actively involved in providing testimony during the legislative redistricting process. Uh, what was your organization's experience during that process, and why are the new maps generating so much legal pushback? So what the BGA has experienced uh, last session in regards to the maps is really no different than uh, what other groups uh we're going through and trying to push for. Uh, something that we were pushing for was a fair and transparent process. Uh, my predecessor, uh, uh, Marie Dillon, uh, did a great job in her writing uh, and testifying in Springfield on what we thought uh, sh- what we, mo- we thought a map should look like. The BGA hired consultants to draw uh, simulated maps following the principles of independent uh, redistricting. They drew compact districts that were close to equal in population. Uh, they protected uh, minority representation, um, but they did not consider uh, in those simulations uh, voter history or addresses of the incumbents. Um, we and other groups campaigned for a constitutional amendment uh, that would assign redistricting to an independent panel or a commission. Uh, I believe like eight or nine other states have it uh, currently, um, and that would put voters first, but unfortunately that didn't happen. So what we ended up getting uh, were maps based on uh, not enough information. The reason that hits close to home for me is that in my last position prior to joining the BGA a few months ago, uh, we fought for uh, a large appropriation from the state, a $29 million appropriation for the census uh, for community groups to really uh, go out there and conduct a fair and accurate census. Those numbers did not come in in time. Uh, Legislators thought they had to uh, file uh, and pass a bill by the June deadline uh, to avoid this archaic process of it going to a coin toss. Um, So what we ended up seeing were these hearings without any proposed maps. They asked for public comment that maps uh, um, that nobody has seen um, until the last minute. Um, And they didn't allow time for people to digest and study those maps. So there was a rush to get these maps done. And uh, it, it wasn't based on the accurate census information that came out in September. So I think that's why you're seeing a lot of the legal pushback. 
Okay, so from your vantage point, how do you think the process could have been better? Uh, do we need? Do you think we need to go to an independent commission like those I, others? I think an independent. I think an independent commission uh, made up of non uh, non elected officials uh, would be a good start. Um, or, or at the very least, we know that the uh, Democrats in the House and the Senate in Illinois. Um, and to be clear, this what you know. This is gerrymandering and, and, and creating their own maps is an issue across the country. But here in Illinois, we have uh, Democratic uh, politicians, uh, both in the House and Senate, that we knew that they had the votes to get whatever map they wanted done. So why not? It's something that we asked for repeatedly: was show us the map so that we can comment on them. Um, at least give us some time to digest them. Um, so I think at the very least, they could have shown us what they were voting on, uh, not hours before it passed, but maybe weeks in advance. At the very least. Okay, so let's shift over to Professor Gaines. Uh, you've studied and written about redistricting from an academic viewpoint. What do we know about how well independent commissions work or don't work? Um, I think you just heard five states have them now. Yeah, well, it's um, it's a little hard to count them because the redistricting procedures are really complicated in a lot of states. And more states use them for their legislative maps than congressional, but uh, a number of states have experience with them. And uh, another of, of, of other countries where they also use uh, plurality elections, basically most votes wins rules in single member districts also use them. And so we, we know a little bit about, I think, what nonpartisan or bipartisan commissions do. Um, I will say at the outset that they're popular. I've done a number of surveys about what people know about how maps are drawn in Illinois, what they'd like them, and, and across the country and how they'd like them to be drawn. And in the surveys, it's always true that uh, nonpartisan commissions comes out as a preferred method over letting incumbent politicians draw the maps or uh, assigning it to a judge or having a, a computer program generated. So the people, to the extent they have preferences, seem to like nonpartisan commissions. Political scientists themselves are maybe a little more skeptical. There's some um, debate about whether a nonpartisan commission is ever genuinely a nonpartisan commission. Is it a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, a partisan commission masquerading as nonpartisan? But I don't think that many people would argue that the record is commissions are always uh, partisan exercises pretending to be otherwise. I think sometimes it looks like they work pretty well. Okay, so you've also studied political systems elsewhere in places like Canada, the UK, and Germany. Uh, do they go through the same kind of process that we use, and is it just as politically divisive outside the United States? I think it's surprising uh, to some Americans that it's much less divisive. I think uh, one of the arguments you'll hear made here is that, well, of course, the districts are critically important, so it's always going to be a partisan exercise. If we pretend it can be nonpartisan, we're kidding ourselves. But um, most of the time, I'd say Canada, Britain, and to some extent, Australia, maybe I should leave out because they use a kind of slightly different electoral system, uh, ranked choice voting. But Canada and Britain both use single member districts, first past the post, the most votes wins. And the districts are generally drawn by commissions. And in fact, I served on a, a royal commission in British Columbia uh, a long time ago and uh, when I was still an undergraduate, my first real political job. Uh, usually they're headed by a judge. They, they do hearings, much like um, the American uh, case, there's often hearings preceding them, but they, they usually do longer hearings, more of them uh, across the province. Uh, draw the map and then submit it to the legislature. And usually that's the end of the story. It's not. Uh, a drawn out battle, it doesn't often get litigated afterwards. Why that's true um, is, is a little hard to argue, explain, but I, 
I think I, I, I do point to Canada often with an American colleagues saying, who say that it, it could never be true that a nonpartisan process would work to say it looks like it's usually pretty nonpartisan in Canada. And the one commission I served on, I think it was very clear the judge had no party preferences. He wasn't looking to help or hurt any party with the way he drew the lines. He was very interested in what local people said about communities of interest and whether one town belonged in the same district as another town. Not much interested in the political implications of the lines. Um, okay, so let's go back to the lawsuits. Uh, I suppose it's kind of predictable that you would see Republicans challenging a Democratic-drawn map. But we also have these advocacy groups that represent Latinos and African Americans, demographic groups that make up a big part of the Illinois Democratic Party's voting base. Uh, so wh what do we think that says about the work that the Democratic lawmakers did, and could it signal trouble ahead for the Democrats? Yeah, I, it's a little bit surprising. I think that one of the conventional wisdoms about um, the, the internal politics, the, the, the typical struggles you get with redistricting is that making majority-minority districts tends to pack um, Democrat, reliably Democratic voters into districts, and so it has some effect of helping Republicans. And so there's some view in the past that if you make strongly minority, um, let's say you know, heavily, uh, more than 50%, but more than 60%, even minority districts, then you tend to uh, help Republicans win more districts. And so that part is maybe, it's not amazing that a map that's being criticized on the one hand for not doing enough to ensure uh, minority representation, racial minority representation would also be criticized as harming the Republicans. But it's not something we've seen in a lot of states. This, uh, As time has passed, we've seen more and more litigation, more lawsuits challenging districts, but it isn't often this particular combination that we're seeing this time here in Illinois. Okay, so in addition to the legislative redistricting plans, lawmakers came back in October to pass a congressional district map plan. Uh, Brian Zaru, unlike the legislative redistricting process where a lot of advocacy groups got involved, we heard very little from most of them during congressional redistricting, including the BGA. Uh, can you talk about why so many people chose to sit that one out? Yeah, um, you know, I, I can't speak on behalf of all of the groups, but I do speak to many of them. And uh, some of them have really just said that they've used so many resources, uh, so much money, so much time and effort went into the legislative process where they, with the legislative mapping process, um, where yes, they attended the hearings and they were uh, producing maps of their own, uh, but they were unheard. I mean, there were hearings that, that went unheard. And, uh, and I think that really caused a lot of apathy towards a lot of the organizations. Um, and by the time the congressional uh, hearings came around, um, not that I, I would not say that they were uninterested, they were very interested, but um, a lot of these are smaller nonprofits that, uh, that, that they know that it was a fool's errand before. And I think a lot of them were trying to make, some of them were trying to make a point by not attending, uh, but also some of them flat out said to me, we don't, we don't have, they're not gonna listen to us. They haven't listened to us. Um, what's the sense of us and wasting our time, energy? We, we need to prepare for, for next session on things that we can get accomplished. Um, so I think um, it was a horrible thing for democracy um, to, to, to uh, have all these organizations back, uh, kind of back out of, of the system. But um, that's where, that's what the elected officials did to these groups, unfortunately. Okay, and Professor Gaines, um, I'm curious to know, what kind of research is there on the impact of uh, gerrymandered districts on voter participation? Uh, seems like, you know, when you look at these maps, uh, some people might just think, you know, 
the game's been rigged in advance, why go out and vote? Yeah, I think the um, the the conclusion is maybe not as strong as you would as you would guess. I think the, there are definitely turnout effects from competitiveness. There's when there's a seriously competitive race where uh, there's some suspense about who's going to win in advance, the turnout tends to be a little higher. Academics do tend to get hung up on um, exact mechanisms and so you get very uh, detailed and fine arguments that seem ridiculous to other people, but exactly how much of the competitiveness effect is because of voters being aware that it's a competitive race and how much of it is parties putting more resources into those races is hard to disentangle. Here again, I, uh, with my old apologies for being a, bringing in the, the kind of complexity that makes academics academics, exactly what kind of gerrymander matters. The, some partisan gerrymanders that are designed pretty much just to increase the number of seats won by one party tend to involve making somewhat competitive districts. Uh, you want to, if you're party A and you're trying to disadvantage party B, you make a lot of districts that party A is going to win by a small amount so you don't waste your votes in big wins. And you want party B to win huge in the seats it wins so that it wastes a lot of votes. So that kind of map can, especially if they're they're year-to-year -year swings and a party that's drawing the map to its own advantage has a bad election, and that often happens in the United States with midterm elections when your party owns the presidency. That's a little early to, to say that's going to happen in 2022 for sure, but at the moment it looks like 2022 might be a bad year for Democrats. So if Democrats draw a map with a lot of, say, 55, 45 seats in a bad year, they can lose those seats. So. The, the effect on competitiveness isn't quite as, as simple as it might be. And I think you have to kind of keep in mind that some gerrymanders are basically incumbent protection acts. They're bipartisan deals. All the incumbents sign on from both parties. And some of them are partisan gerrymanders that are mostly about helping one party and hurting the other. And they tend to have slightly different effects. But if I you know, back out again, stop talking like a political scientist who has a two-hour lecture to deliver, I'd say generally the, the, it's true that the maps that are sort of cooked up with political purposes will tend to discourage turnout to some degree. Okay, so you've no doubt seen the new congressional maps. There are some really oddly shaped districts that are kind of hard to explain. One has Urbana-Champaign tied in with East St. Louis in a very long, thin sort of district. Rockford, Moline, and Bloomington are all tied together in a weird kind of C-shaped district. What was your impression when you first saw those maps? And what, what was going on there? Yeah, I, I said they look like maps that would be drawn if there's a requirement that they not be compact. Uh, you know, the, the, a lot of states have rules that say you're supposed to draw compact maps. Compact is a little bit of a fuzzy term, but essentially it means simple, smooth shapes. You don't draw districts that wind, uh, meander around, um, snake in and out, and have lots and lots of little uh, outcroppings that invite uh, imaginative descriptions of them. Does it look like a salamander? Does it look like a earmuffs or a, a dragon wearing headphones holding a hockey stick? But the, um, the, the districts are clearly not compact. They were not drawn to be compact. And you, you see, if you've never been to Illinois before, you're just arriving from a foreign country looking at them, you think, is there some reason to draw them this way? Maybe these are communities of interest. The people in these far-flung areas have similarities that the map makers know about. But I think that almost anybody would say that that's, this is not about communities of interest, it's about partisanship and drawing districts that are very likely to return the maximum number of Democrats out of the 17 seats. And um, they're probably carefully and shrewdly drawn in that respect, but that, that, that runs roughshod over the idea that you draw simple, smooth shapes. Okay, yeah, we heard the Senate President Don Harmon talk uh, before the redistricting process got going 
And he basically said in advance, you know, people get too hung up on shapes and compactness, that there are other factors that go into it. Obviously, partisanship is one. Um, but connecting communities that have some sort of cultural or economic ties together, um, those are usually factors that go into play here. Um, I guess that really didn't happen in Illinois this time around. Yeah, there are a lot of districts drawn. So if you want to defend it, you can probably find a case where in this particular district, the, these particular communities probably belong together. Um, that as a principle that you want communities of interest respected is it's a very broad and, and fuzzy kind of flexible principle because it requires you then to spell out what communities you have in mind and which ones belong together. And so uh, there's doesn't really resolve the argument. You still have to have a lengthy discussion about that. But uh, I don't really think anybody looking at this map thinks that it's about a different view of the communities of interest in the state. I think almost everybody looking at it understands that it's about democratic seats. And it's particularly, I think, drawn in the shadow that the House of Representatives is fairly closely divided and the, U the US House, I'm talking here, not the General Assembly in the state. But map makers in Illinois are thinking about other states and they're thinking Republicans are gerrymandering in other states. Democrats have to gerrymander here to counterbalance them. And they're getting pressure from Democratic leaders nationally that we need as many Democratic seats as we can get out of Illinois if we're going to keep the House and drawing lines accordingly. I, I really think that you can inject the map makers with sodium pentothal, they tell you this is a map that's designed to produce 14 Democratic seats. And that it's um, we couldn't do it with compact districts, and so compact districts aren't part of it. And Brian Zaru, do you agree with that? Yes, I was actually going to um, kind of echo the same sentiments. Uh, Speaker Pelosi was here, uh, I think, a month before all this passed. She met with the leaders. Um, and after this passed, we saw a lot of the stuff come out in the media of congressmen and women uh, speaking with uh, leaders of the House and Senate. So, I mean, to say anything other than this was a politically motivated map to help secure Democratic seats in Washington, um, I think um, yeah, so that's, that's pretty much why it was done. Okay. Well, we're going to have to leave it there for today because that'll do it for this edition of Capital Cast. I want to thank our guests, Brian Zaru of the Better Government Association and Professor Brian Gaines of the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation and the Robert R. McCormick Foundation. Until next time, this is Peter Hancock saying whatever district you find yourself in, we hope you'll get out and vote this coming election year. In the meantime, please stay safe and thank you for listening.